1: Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com.
2: Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last plus every single burrow order ships free right to your door right now get 15% off your first order at burrow.com/acast that's 15% off at burrow.com/acast
3: Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly, Newcastle United brought down to earth a little by Borussia Dortmund. After hammering PSG, you might have expected them to see off Edin Terzic's men, but the away side were excellent, counter-attacking in the first half and defending stoically in the second. The jewellies have some missed chances to rue and a couple of injuries to stretch their squad. Meanwhile, perhaps Erling Haaland is right-footed after all, that's a worry. Young boys gave them and their cardigans a game for a bit, but another 3-1 win for City means they're in control of Group G. Celtic once again don't quite win, it's been so long, but they do hold Atleti for their first point of the campaign. Then there's a Premier League preview the Manchester Derby, our Everton facing a 12-point deduction and some pod classics, the Sid cameo, some Eau Claire joy on the impending Saudi World Cup and a fuller minute from Archie. All that Pass your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Philippe Eau Claire welcome.
0: Bonjour mon cher Max.
3: Archie you've been in touch, hello. Alright. Is that it? Just alright? Not up for this? What's happened? I mean, all right, how are you doing? Okay, yeah, yeah, good, thanks. Uh, suddenly become a bit too cool for school.
2: <laughs>
3: he's, just gone into, he's just gone into year 11. He's just been a bit, been a bit cool now. Um, Sid will join us in part two, uh, but it's us three you've got for part one. Let's start at St. James's Park, then Dortmund won one at, at Newcastle. Brilliant win for Dortmund, Archie. Um, I, I think they deserved it. And, and I've already heard you um, on a... National radio station podcast While I was going for a five k run, very surprised that uh, that they performed
1: so well. Are you trying to insinuate that I cheated on on Football Weekly? No, that's okay. We're allowed. You're allowed to work at other places. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks because I also work for you. Um, <laughs> yeah, true. Essential for me personally. You sound like you're my cleaner. Get, that's look, how it feels it. sometimes. <laughs> so. Yeah, very shocked. I'd say that that was the, the best away performance I can remember of Dortmund under Edin Terzic. If you consider the moment, the, uh, the the team they're playing against, how strong they've been, and Newcastle fans telling me that's probably the best away team performance they've seen come to Newcastle since early Eddie Howe times. The way that they were able to take advantage of the space, space that they don't usually get, space I wasn't anticipating they would get. And I think that even though they ran out of gas towards the end, that was probably down to the fact that they were covering many more meters and able to get forward much more than they would have expected. But big performances from Nico Schlotterbeck at the back. I mean... For, for for all that I'm I'm talking up how good they were going forward, the people I want to pick out are the ones at the back. Um, Schlotterbeck at centre back, but also Gregor Korbel for a huge save he made in the second half from from Callum Wilson, and the continued steady expansion of his reputation. He's been superb for Dortmund since he joined them. One or two high profile mistakes, but. You talk to any of the players there and they'll tell you that without him, they would have lost many more games than they would have won.
3: And the goal, Felix and Metcher, I, I don't know Archie, if he is, you know, a Jude Bellingham replacement. That seems quite a lot of pressure to place on anyone. He sort of moves a bit like him.
1: Yeah, it's controversial, Max. Uh, not, not what you've said, uh, but the whole Felix Metcher signing. He made... Uh, transphobic and homophobic posts on Instagram before joining and that stirred a number of the fans uh, to advocate against his signing. He signed for €30 million and on the opening day of the season there was a huge banner hung above where the CEO Aki Vatska sits um, saying uh, together against homophobia for example. So we come to what he's like on the pitch. Uh, he has looked like somebody who's been doing a poor impression of Jude Bellingham so far this season. But then again, I'd I'd say that all of us would probably do a poor impression of Jude Bellingham. Uh, but he has been relaxing a bit more and and playing better of late. It's a good goal, uh, he's exceedingly well taken, and and the timing of his run. He's missed a few big chances recently. But he's somebody who, you know, Dortmund care a lot about, Dortmund fans care a lot about what they stand for. And I know some who are left with mixed feelings when he's scoring the winning goal.
3: Yeah. I, do you know what? I didn't know about Mecha, but um, uh, Dortmund Chief Executive Hans Joachim Vatska Uh, And club president Reinhold Lunau said in a joint statement, he completely convinced us during intensive talks that he does not hold any transphobic or homophobic beliefs. Felix himself underlined that he respects and loves all people, irrespective of skin colour, religion or sexual orientation. Uh, He himself, in an interview published by the club, said a few things were taken out of context. Of course, I'm Christian, but I love everybody. I do not discriminate. I just hope fans will give me a chance to get to know me and hopefully see I'm a great person. From a Newcastle perspective, Philippe, Mm. We have said already that we wondered if their squad would be stretched. When they had a couple of injuries, yeah. you know, Isaac is a different yes. player to Wilson, right? He can do more. And him going yes. off was a big loss for them. Murphy coming off and going off again.
0: That's that's right. Which is very yeah. sad. I mean he looked absolutely distraught. And and they, yeah. by the way, they both of them look like injuries which could hamper, hamper them for quite a while. And you know, given where they are in the in the Premier League at the moment and given that the squad is not yet um, the uh, deepest that you can think of. These things, this will change in the in the winter. You can expect a, a, a very high spend by the Saudis on on the winter transfer market. But yeah, it was shown. And I think when when we were talking, you know, about their 4-1 win over PSG last time, I think I said something like everything went for Newcastle. Everything went right for Newcastle on that night against Paris Saint-Germain. And because of that, the public really caught fire, and they were then transported by their, their crowd to a level which is perhaps not their actual level. There, they found a Borussia Dortmund tomb, which I'm, I'm sure would have amazed them by the quality of their performance, because, to be honest, I mean, I'd been listening and reading what Archie was saying about Borussia Dortmund before the game, and I had the feeling I I was looking at their results and thinking well they've been very very lucky so far in the Bundesliga and then suddenly they were able to exploit all that all that space on on the right-hand side which you wouldn't have expected Newcastle actually built most of their current success on their defensive solidity even if they're scoring for fun this season and then you could see huge gaps appearing here and there and and not everything that they tried worked out they created a few chances but the you know Dortmund's keeper was on a on a very good day as per usual, um, and then they found themselves really under the cosh. Um, no, they don't have the uh, the depth yet uh, to you know alleviate as as uh, bad you know um, a loss as that of Alexander Izak because Callum Wilson was as always very active but he genuinely didn't have his best game for Newcastle. I think you can say that. He was actually quite inefficient. And, and I think it was, in many ways, a disappointing performance from the Newcastle point of view. Very disappointing. And which was reflected, by the way, by a certain lack of... I don't know if you felt the same, Max, but a certain lack of passion in what is supposed to be a cauldron. And the fans I could hear were the Borussia Dortmund fans. That
1: was the first goal that Dortmund have scored in the Champions League this season. They've only scored one in their first three games. And they're moving away from the heavy metal football ideas that were so often talked about uh, internationally uh, around Jurgen Klopp. Edin Terzic has been talking about being uh, less sexy and more successful. I I would say that last night actually was quite sexy in in terms of the football. I think... The more space you have to run into, the sexier you can play. And a lot of the time against Bundesliga opponents, teams are sitting a lot deeper and they don't have that room for expression. So I, I, a, a significant win for Dortmund. One one Dortmund fan friend of mine said he was expecting a 4-1 defeat. <laughs> and instead, he got the one, but not the four. Yeah. A bit
3: like, um, you know, sort of what me and Barry have tried to do with this pod, the opposite, actually. More sexy, but less (laughs) successful. Really impressed with how Dortmund pushed Trippier back, right? Because he's such an important outlet for Newcastle. They did really well. And Embraer Chan, until he got injured, was brilliant. And staggered to find out he's only 29. Like, in my mind, he's at least 35. Is he only
0: 29? He's only
3: 29. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. Um, And he's a key man for them, and he was desperate to carry on, even though one of his legs wasn't working. It was slightly, you know, the knight from the Holy Grail.
2: Uh, <laughs> <said, laughs>
1: Edin Terzic said that I think that's the most pain that Emre Can has ever felt in his leg. Uh, and he is the sort of unit where if he's coming off the pitch, you know something... Is is wrong because uh, look, he he tried to continue after it looked like he really shouldn't have continued, which which told you something in the first place. And actually, as well, he's like he was appointed Dortmund captain over the summer. Marco Royce relinquishing that post, and somehow it's what the end of October and Emery chairman just start the season poorly, get dropped, and then knuckle down and work his way back into the team. And I think that is that is precisely the kind of character that you want as captain. Somebody who goes, "Well, okay, uh, this hasn't started ideally, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to show you what I'm made of," and that sends a certain message to the camp. For their sake, they need to hope that the injury isn't too serious because the squad beyond him, even if Sali chan I thought did really well actually after after he came on for Chan as well, uh, they need to hope that it's not all that serious.
3: Asadre Tanali came on. Um, uh, the Guardian's reporting uh, on his uh, betting case. They're braced for him to receive a 10-month ban um, with a further eight months suspended for breaches of Italian betting regulations. Uh, nothing's been confirmed. The 23-year-old's lawyers have held a series of meetings with the federal prosecutors in Italy, understood to be finalising a plea bargain on Wednesday. Although the players alleged offences, namely the use of illegal gambling websites and the placing of bets on his former team, Milan, carry a mandatory three-year ban, that term can be reduced by an admission of guilt, cooperation with investigators and a willingness to engage in counselling. Tonali is believed to be extremely uh, cooperative. His agent has explained he's a gambling addict seeking therapy to address the problems. Um, a plea bargain was possible. The final verdict is expected to arrive at some point today. Uh, elsewhere in this group, PSG beat, uh, beat Milan 3-0. I mean, it looks so easy this for, for, for PSG.
0: Yes, they were. They were actually seriously good. Um, in that game, um, that um, new style PSG without the superstars, apart from Kylian Mbappé, who didn't have too bad a night. But um, if you if you had the chance to to, to watch the game in entirety, you will know that he was not the star of the show even though the first goal, I have to say... It's
3: effortless, <laughs> the first goal. Right. How
0: many players can... It's just insane how many players can score that because it is really impish what he does, isn't it? It's that the keeper definitely thinks he's going to go for the other side of the goal. I think
3: we all do, don't we?
0: We all do. Everybody does. Yeah. That's the natural thing to do. And then he manages to correct the angle and I wouldn't say he passes it in the net, but he completely wrongs foots absolutely everybody. Um, but of course, what... Um, everybody's talking about in France this morning, is about the young man who supplied the pass for that goal, um, Warren Zaya Emery. Now, uh, prepare to feel very old uh, when I tell you that he was born. Uh, you're t- talking about Emery Chan being 29. Well, Warren em- uh, Zaya Emery was born on the 8th of March, 2006. Yes, he is, he is uh, 17 years old. He's a player who throughout his... Um, young life. He still goes to school and he, he's, he's got his A-levels at the end of the year. Um, but every every single age category, he was by two or three years the youngest. And like at the moment, he's the captain of the under-23s, uh, you know, the terrieres team. He's the captain, 17 years of age. Uh, last year, I can't remember if I get it wrong by one game, but he played, I think, 26 or he had a part in 26 league games with PSG at the age of 16. That's crazy. And when you see him play, um, talking about uh, the new Jude Bellingham, which is starting to become a thing, he is the new Jude Bellingham for France. His attributes are actually incredibly similar to that, uh, to those of Jude Bellingham. Uh, both on the field and off the field, because he's super mature, super clear, super calm, off the pitch, is well, very well advised. On the pitch, his skill set is just ridiculous, as in heading, both feet, you name it, control. What is just astonishing is his physical power at the age of 17, uh, which is exactly like Jude Bellingham. You think, how is it possible to have all these qualities put together? in somebody who's still growing. The midfield we're getting ready for the 2026 World Cup is going to be something out of this world. I mean, Chouameni, Camavinga, Zaya Emery, and you could name another four or five there. It's just insane. And he was, he was deservedly man of the match, a player of the match. Uh, and uh, he will be called to the French national team very, very um, shortly by Didier Deschamps. And you know what? It won't be as a sub. Um, he's that good. He's he's just astonishing.
3: That's something ridiculous about someone being the new Jude Bellingham when Jude Bellingham is only 20. But, you know, I suppose that's how good he is. Group G then, Man City won 3-1 at Young Boys. They've won every game in this group, 3-1. Archie, which goal was the best?
1: Harlan's right-footed banger or Elias' chip over Edison? Aesthetically, I think seeing somebody chip it from the range that he did, even if Edison is, is saying chip me I think (laughs) I think it was it it, it was the second and yet uh, not to uh, not to take anything away from Erling Haaland's um, shift and shift and fire that is still such a skill and he had quite a few chances in this game and I not the difficulty is is when you've scored every chance then people start expecting you to score every other chance. And I, I don't... <laughs> there's still not easy chances that he was having, but still, yeah, that, that second goal is... He, he got quite fortunate with the penalty. Uh, that, that that seemed to go through the keeper's hand. About the only thing that did, the, the the young boy's keeper, superb game. Sorry that his name... Um, Ratioppi. That's the fella. Um, I, superb game. Uh, can I also mention Rico Lewis? Please do. Oh my.
0: Is it the new Warren the... Zaya Emery? <laughs>
2: the
0: new Zaya Emery.
1: <laughs> I saw him I saw him uh play away at Leipzig uh on the on the last match day. And first time I'd seen him live, first time I think many people had seen him. Oh my god. Ike. I was I was saying to Max and I were saying at halftime, we were kind of rubbing our hands with Glee, being like, well, here's another one for the England squad then in the future. Quite a lot of, of players don't und, don't have that understanding or intuition of when the ball needs to be played and at how quickly it needs to be played. Or indeed being able to keep up with the super fast tempo that that, that you have. And that Lewis has that. And is able to somehow even more accelerate the play is a frightening quality to have as a teenager. And yeah, he is just he he's he's like a little bottle of lightning. He's superb. I got to speak to him after that game as well. Like what a sweet, grounded kid, as well, who was raising the fact that, you know, he was fortunate that he got the chances that he had, because there were so many other in the academies who had in the same amount of effort but things hadn't fallen their way and about the only thing that I think saw I saw go wrong from him that evening was that en route to the interview he dropped his dinner <laughs> which
3: which I was like you're so coordinated you, you can't be doing this? that
1: yeah it was nice to
3: see a Champions League game on Astro wasn't it shame it wasn't like the sand based stuff so you presume the young boys players they've all got that that they've ripped the skin off their that same bit of knee every week, and it just almost heals, and then they play again, and it goes off again for their entire careers.
1: Did you see one of the young? I I I mean, of, of on the numerous occasions that young boys were sliding in to try and prevent a Man City goal, I saw a particularly bloody knee from one of the defenders, and I was like, Yeah, I don't I don't you know think that, that was is. caused by a Man City player. No, <laughs> um, Alan said, did anyone see Man
3: City's? Uh, pre-match outfits—they look like the posh bullies from Animal House. Malcolm Allison would be disgusted. Yeah, sort of very cardigan-y look from City. Philippe, you look absolutely disgusted.
0: Yeah, it's the uh, the armband. Did you see yeah. that? It. I, I thought maybe it's what
3: the kids are wearing. <laughs> I, don't know. I
0: don't think so. I don't think any kid would be seen dead wearing such a thing. I mean, it was so ugly, so fat. Takes so much space on the forearm as well. I mean it's ugh, the, the colour scheme is disgusting. You will notice that Pep didn't wear it.
3: Uh, yeah. Um fair enough. Um uh Leipzig beat Red Star 3 1. We don't have a huge amount of time for this, Archie, but Davy Simmons, that goal is just the the goal of the night.
1: Yeah. I think. No, 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 because it's not because there's a goal that we're going to talk about correct that i think is better mm, okay oh, what a that. tease i look forward yeah, to finding I, I, out what I, that I, is I, I, I know right just to say on chavy simmons uh again he's the new rico lewis um <laughs> right here we go <laughs> working our yeah, way down he's good
3: yeah he's he's good He's good. There we go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're in a bit of hurry. Sid's ready to join us and that'll do for part one. Uh, Sid, we're here in part two and we'll look at the other Champions League games. welcome to part two of the guardian football weekly michael says how has the live show not sold out when there's top rated journalists dressing up as postman pat while delivering meat parcels it's a very good question michael jd says will you take the roof off the troxy like king gizzard and the lizard wizard did back in march hundred percent we will and David said, following up on the man with the plastic bag on his head, selling out the Troxy when you haven't. I know the Troxy's Swift again at night, club night in December is already sold out. Perhaps the pod could combine forces. This would also one of the Guardian's commitment to mention Taylor Swift at every possible opportunity. So yeah, we will do a live Taylor Swift number on the 13th of November. Tickets selling for that one. Uh, but they're still available. Me, Philippe. Troy, Ellis, Baz, 15th of November in Manchester. Me, Baz, John Bruin, Nader Manuha and the Will Unwin Anecdote. And on the 22nd, me, Baz, Nicky Maddini, Johnny Lou. Liu. At the li- it is sold out, but the live stream goes around the world. Please go to theguardian.com slash fwtour23. Don't just ignore that. Go to it and buy a ticket and come. <laughs> I'd really like to sell out. That would be nice. Hey, Sid Lowes here. Welcome, Sid.
4: Hi, Max. I didn't understand a word of that, you know. Lizard and and something or other. I had no idea what you were talking about. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Sid, you don't understand it. Just buy a ticket and come to watch Football Weekly Live. I think it's right in your wheelhouse. I think you'll have a great time.
4: I'm sure I will.
3: (laughs) Okay, good. That's the enthusiasm I was looking for. Uh, Let's do Group E first of the Champions League um, because Celtic and Atleti drew 2 2. um, And you sort of feel with Celtic, oh, they keep almost winning a game. And this time, Sid, it was Atleti that didn't let them.
4: Yeah, and and actually, I think at, at the point by the end of it, Atletico were quite happy with the draw because they'd gone down to ten men towards the end. I think I think when the moment when Rodrigo the Paul was was sent off, it kind of changed the whole balance of it, didn't it? There was a period it felt like okay, Atletico you know, they're gonna they're gonna win this now. They the, the the balance of the game was completely in favor. They were creating chances. The momentum was starting to build, particularly through through Griezmann, who at some point I think there needs to be a discussion about why no one talks about him more than you know as, as much as they should. Um, and then once De Paul went off, it's not just that that changes the game. And that's the obvious and very cliché thing to say where it becomes harder. It's that it felt like Atletico had taken the decision that, OK, this makes it harder. So it's not just that we can't look for the win anymore. We sort of don't look for the win anymore and we we, we settle for, for what we've got. Um, and, and that perhaps allowed Celtic to to get a draw they wouldn't have got otherwise. But as you say, there were there were certainly periods in the game when Atletico struggled more than they probably should have done, or more than they th- felt they should have done.
1: Sid, is the reason that people don't talk about Griezmann enough? Is it is it as simple that he doesn't play for Barca or or Real? I know Atleti is a fairly major institution, but I, I find this uh, with with other players as well. It's like if they don't play on that top top, I, I, I don't I don't mean to go into red ism but if you don't play on that top top level then people don't seem to have those conversations.
4: Well, there's another dimension to it, isn't there? Which is that um, I, I would agree with that. I think there's some other elements, but I'd agree that that's the, a fundamental one. He doesn't play for Madrid or Barcelona. There's another dimension to it, which is, but he did, and it wasn't <laughs> that great when he did. Um, and yeah. so, of course, it's not just that you've got this guy playing really, really well at Atletico Madrid, and you can think, well, if he was at Barcelona or Real Madrid, we'd take him seriously. So, well, well, he's been at Barcelona. And so now we know he's not that good, really. And of course, I think his biggest mistake was going to the only club in the world where there was a player in the world who could probably do the things he did significantly better than him. I don't think there's any other club anywhere where there was a player basically doing the things that he wants to do and doing it better than he does.
0: The other thing is that what what, what you say, what we say about uh, Griezmann's status uh, with clubs is also something you could say Griezmann's status with uh, his national team. Um, I think I would certainly put... Griezmann in the top three of the greatest ever French players in, in internationals. Wow, okay. With, with with who? With Zidane and uh, Platini? With, Zidane, Zidane, with, with uh, Platini and, and Zidane, yeah. Platini, Zidane. And I, I would put him ahead of players who probably might have been better, uh, because you could argue Thierry Henry or uh, Kylian Mbappé is on the way too, of course. But over um, a period of time, which is a very long period of time, He's been the absolute fulcrum foundation of that team. He's been decisive in, in very big competitions. He's been the most consistent of all performers. He's accepted to play in roles which are not naturally his role, especially at the last World Cup where he was really one of the players of the tournament. So that's part of it. Isn't yeah, it? but uh, he, I, th- I think that's he's, part of he's, it. he's, a, he's a, just a magnificent player who will remain underrated. And for that, for that reason, he he will probably acquire a status, almost quasi mystical status. Um, in history I would imagine it's like he's the player that nobody thought was as good as he was it's true it's, it's ludicrous the streets the won't forget
1: uh, I believe is the terminology yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> oh really <laughs> he'll,
4: well he'll become he'll become the, the, the it'll be it'll be a bit like the kind of the the retrospective Paul Scholes-isms when oh, yeah. it would be the he's a player that was so underrated that he becomes overrated <laughs> later
0: on because we, we all jump onto the underrated thing Arthur and will not be an overrated as, as Paul Scholes is overrated I am I was on the radio Paul. saying
3: I wouldn't put Paul Scholes on the top table I'd put him on the second table if we're on you know, is a your sure wedding tables. you're talking
4: about, Max? Which table am I on?
2: Yeah,
3: <laughs> <laughs> yeah he came to the reception only. But um, yeah, and then he messaged and said, Oh cheers, mate. And I was like, Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, uh, <laughs> still he? a lovely player. Like Look, worth saying that Griezmann's worth saying that Griezmann's goal was the worst and luckiest of the three here. And Archie, those Celtic goals. Well, Jim Burke, Barca Jim, sent a brilliant tweet after four minutes when Furuhashi put them head going far too fucking early, and <laughs> we all we all thought it. But that you know, former Fulham man Matt O'Reilly with that wonderful pass, that one-two with Furuhashi
1: was great. You think that you are going to tease more out of me by mentioning that he's a former Fulham man? You're spot on. Of he's really good. He's really good. His range of passing. He never got. He never really got a chance at, at Fulham, and uh, yeah. I I think it's it's it looks like he will be off at some point, uh, in the in the near future. To be honest, though, uh, I I got to watch Celtic a couple of occasions last season under Ange live, and the things they were trying to do then were were really bold and, and interesting, and Kyogo especially, uh, what what he offers on a technical level, I. He's he's somebody that he, he he seems something something of a luxury player to have uh, sometimes, but yeah, the the way he took that first goal was was superb. I have to say though, uh, without always wanting to bring everything back to Atleti, the goal I admired most in the game was actually Alvaro Morata's. It's an amazing header. I've, I've had so many debates uh, over years at, at work of what what goes into a top five goal compilation. And this goal would never really make it because it's not a thunder bastard from 30 yards. And yet the difficulty of scoring this goal was probably higher than all of the other ones actually on the night, just because of the timing, like the the amount of weight he's got to get on the header. I it's so,
3: so good. Are you saying that are you saying that um basically before he Attempts the header. It, it should be like Olympic high diving. Some would just say the difficulty <laughs> level here is is, is three point yeah. nine. Yes. And yeah. so if he gets it in, that is a, that is a nine point oh, nine. I love it Even if we it started look to
4: rate great. football goals like that. And there's that. A, and, and there's and there's a risk. There's a risk of a Greg Lagarni, isn't there? That, that that he's going to fall flat on his face and it's going to go horribly wrong. Uh, the, the, I suppose flat on his face is the key to this, isn't it? He doesn't use the normal part of his head to guide it in. He he sort of he sort of he sort of drops his head sideways and kind of uses the side rather than, rather than yeah. the force. he's backwards as well, isn't he?
3: Yeah. Um, worth mentioning, Lewis Palmer's finish was great. And I think he thought he'd scored against Lazio like, and it was ruled out by VAR. So it was a nice moment for him. And I r- did like Rodrigo de Paul. Uh, protesting his innocence whilst holding his shin pads ready to go off. (laughs) There
0: there was also a a magnificent moment of um, Atletico shithousery because they've got to be, uh, uh, we've got to tick that box, is when Griezmann pretends to be injured at the end. And to their horror, they realise it means that the the doctors have got to to go on the pitch and Griezmann has got to go on the touchline, which means they're going to be only nine. For yeah. a while, and Simeone is there, going absolutely berserk, <laughs> saying to, "No, no, 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 he's not injured, he's not injured, he's not injured." And <laughs> I thought, this is this was a wonderful Atlético moment, by the way. But well, and the,
4: the, the and the doctor and the physio as well. Look at him going. <laughs> what do we do? Basically, knowing whatever they do, they're going to get a massive <laughs> following. One way no. or the and other. Also,
3: Simeone's. I'm not really shaking
4: Brennan Rodgers' hand. Was also really, you know. It, it, Playing the hits. I'm going to fall on my sword slightly here because remember there was a thing a few years ago when Simeone, there was a a thing made about how Simeone had refused to shake.
3: Yeah, I remember. Yeah.
4: And at the time I defended Simeone and I said, because Simeone basically turned around straight up the tunnel and I defended him and said look this is what he always does and he does almost always do that he almost always doesn't shake hands with the other manager he turns and goes up the tunnel straight to the dressing room it wasn't about Klopp and it wasn't a snub and then seeing it last night thought, I'm not sure
1: I can stand up and defend. <laughs> you see this 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 isn't him running up the tunnel in the I, same way I might defend him because I think oh. that it's it's something that is to do with like the premier leagueification of football that the first thing you see after almost every big game is that the camera pans to the two managers like in such a close-up, which I don't see really in any other league. Or, I say that, I don't see that in the Bundesliga every, every week. I it, it seems like it's just putting this kind of emphasis on, like well, you know, the yeah. first thing that we've got to do is, is is we've got to make sure that the the honour is, is there amongst the two managers. And I'm like, does it make a difference if they do that straight after the game? Or if they do that in the tunnel where no one sees it.
4: it well it's theatre isn't it it's it, it, it's it's window dressing and, and actually just actually pointing out that idea does it make a difference if I do it now or I do it in the tunnel the opposite side of that is the other thing which really gets on my nerves, which is the refusal of players to swap shirts in, in, in full view of everybody else. As if it will somehow be seen as offensive to be walking off the pitch, holding or or worse still wearing. No one does yeah. that anymore. I wish they would. Yeah, me too. Wearing the shirt of the of, of the other team. And you see it all the time, you'll see the cameras, I like just says post game, you get the manager shot, then you get the shot of the players, and invariably you'll get the shot of one player pointing to another saying tunnel. And unfortunately he's not saying you and me in a tunnel now some <laughs> He's actually saying, Yes, let's swap the shirt there. Um, and I don't know there's a bit of me that thinks are we all really so worried about the idea that fans might see us being nice to an opponent it, yeah. it's, so the managers are forced to and it feels like the players are forced not to
0: somebody should have a word with Bobby Moore and Pelé then somewhere up there <laughs> <haven't>, you know
3: <laughs> while we're on this another completely ridiculous bit of theatre is after the game when managers say the other managers are great and Liam Rossini after Hull beat Birmingham said Wayne Rooney was great and then had to have the conversation about going back to the dressing room to have a, glass, a small glass of red wine. Like, it's this extraordinary thing that an adult will drink a glass of red wine with another adult, but when football managers do it, it's just a thing is made of having a glass of wine with another person. It's totally ridiculous.
4: Max, let me throw one in there for you. When, when David Moyes was at Real Sociedad, he discovered, to his disappointment, that having a glass of wine with the other manager isn't a thing. Wow. And he, try- and he tried to get it going. He tried to kind of set up a little, little like the little manager's kind of technical room just before the dressing room at, at Rauzov, the dad's ground. He would kind of have a few bottles of wine and a few little knickknacks laid out in case the other manager wanted oh, no, to. No, no, he oh, sat there and no
3: one came to his party. Didn't often
4: happen, but <laughs> I'm not saying no one came. But I, I'm aware of at least a couple of games when they didn't because it's just not a thing. And he tried to sort of say, you know, this is a really nice thing we could do. Oh, That's so sweet. And um, and. and and it wasn't always followed up.
3: Um, he's gone up in my estimations after that chat even more.
4: Uh, he was, I, Moise, Moise was wonderful in Spain. I mean, the results weren't great. No, but that, that, they don't really matter the results. Final
3: beat, that's a 3 1 also in this group. Great result for them. Let's do group H. Uh, Barca beating Shakhtar. Joachim says, Is the reason for Barca playing early the fact that most of their players are not old enough to be up <laughs> after nine o'clock?
4: <laughs> I did like that. I saw that one on Twitter yeah, yesterday when you asked questions. Great questions, yeah. I got
3: I mean, all these they've got, I mean, I don't know how many kids. Was it Lopez scored a wonderful goal? And there's another guy I've not heard of who was probably born in 2010 or something ludicrous.
4: No, that that Fermini is Lopez. Um, presumably you're talking the, the, the one you'll be talking about will be will be um Mark Giu. Mark Giu. Giu. There's been lots of debate about how to say his name, basically, because essentially because it's a Catalan name, but you actually say it the same as you would in Spanish. But you've had lots of Spaniards looking at it going. Mm, this is Catalan, how do I say it, and completely mangling it, as I've just done as well. Um, and he came on at the weekend, 33 seconds he was on the pitch in his debut for Barcelona, and he scored. Um, quite, We're feeling quite cocky about that one, Max. Do you know why? Tell me. Because we included him in the Guardians' next generation for this year.
1: Well done. <laughs> Sid, look at the pose that you're pulling there as well, Like, <laughs> Very much, yeah, we did.
4: <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it?
1: <laughs> Read us, we know. Um, you
4: know what, once in a while, what is it that, what's it? that line from White Men Can't Jump? The uh, sun even shines on a dog's ass some days.
3: <laughs> um, but look, Barca, like, I, when I wandered into work at half four this morning, they were 2 up and, and I thought, oh, this would be easy. And actually, Shakhtar gave him a game after that.
4: Yeah, Barca, I, I, and Chubby was talking post-game about the kind of how do you express it? Well, I'll try and express it the way he did. The The realisation that sometimes that you have to give everything, the realisation that if you do sort of step off or if you do allow your mind to wander is probably not quite the right phrase, but allow yourself to not be fully, fully, fully engaged. This is going to happen. Obviously, they've got lots and lots of injuries. And the main thing, of course, is they've got the Classico at the weekend. And unlike in previous seasons, they're in a position in the group now where it feels very, very, very unlikely that they can find themselves... With any chance of getting knocked out, whereas in the previous couple of years, obviously they've had difficult groups. They've had Bayern Munich, they've had Inter Milan, and um, this time it, it looks done. And so I, I think a, a degree of distraction is probably not quite the right word, but a degree of disengagement is is probably inevitable.
3: Then not being at the new camp for such a long time um, until what November twenty twenty four or something. How big an impact? Well, let's do just you think assuming
4: that... the work gets finished in time. Yeah,
3: of course. How big an impact do you think that will have?
4: Well, look, in footballing terms, it hasn't had one yet. They've been very good at home. Um, I must admit, I've not actually been to Montjuic yet this season to see them. I'll be there for the first time at, at the weekend in the Clasico. Um, but it's it, it, it obviously it's a it's a historic stadium. It's a wonderful setting on the top of the hill overlooking Barcelona. But it's just not a football stadium, and it's also incredibly so quite apart from the fact that you've got a running track and I think everybody knows now what a running track does to football stadiums but it's also incredibly shallow stands so the bottom six, seven, eight, nine, ten rows your view is awful so what that tends to mean is and actually this year I, I can't think now I'll, I'll, I'll confirm this at the weekend but I think I'm right in saying that the bottom four rows maybe they don't even sell so that kind of sense of no one's really on top of the pitch Sounds
3: like us at the Troxy, yeah. to be honest but anyway for, carry on For slightly <laughs>
4: for <laughs> different reasons um, <laughs> it sort of removes something from it then obviously there's on top of that there's the there's the financial impact of this we're talking about the difference from going from the Camp Nou with 98,000 people to to Montjuic with I think even if it absolutely feels is 55 the financial impact of that you had a situation at the start of the season I think we might have mentioned this on one of the previous pods that um you know, the, the they, they opened up a thing basically where they said, right, if you're a season ticket holder, tell us whether you want to go and have your season ticket at Montjuic. Obviously, we'll have to reposition people and all that sort of stuff. But tell us if you want to go. They only got 18,000 people say so yes. Now, there's all sorts of arguments about this, how difficult it is to get to and all the rest of it. I think actually this was massively overplayed by a lot of people. Oh, my God, Montjuic. As if Montjuic was in, you know, was in Zaragoza, not in Barcelona. It's not that hard. It's not particularly convenient. That is true. Um, but only 18,000. That said, that has been beneficial, I think, in financial terms, because it's meant they've been able to sell the other tickets to people who as a one-off will pay more per game than they would have done if they just kept a season ticket. But so I think the I think the impact is pretty significant financially at a time, of course, when Barcelona can't really afford to have those kind of financial impacts.
3: Uh, also in this group, Porto won 4-1 in Antwerp. Antwerp took the lead. We thought maybe this is their chance because they uh, you know they're not having a great time in their first ever Champions League uh venture. Um, but Porto won quite comfortably. One of these goals, Philippe, that volley by Avanielsen. I don't know if you caught that in the highlights. Absolutely. Archie's nodding, so I'll go I'll go to you. you make it. he's doing hand gestures as well. Archie, it was some hit,
1: wasn't it? I have A slightly unhinged theory that people strike the ball harder in Portugal. (laughs) (laughs) Explain, explain, okay. I can't explain it. I can't explain it. It's just, you know, when you've seen enough goals and just... Do they play at altitude or
4: something? Just this, you know, Portugal well known as being the the, the lemur of
1: Europe. I don't know what it is, but there's something sometimes when I'm just seeing the odd goal from Portugal and I know that that, that there is nothing to back this up, but apart from my eye, which just seems to be like, I swear they're striking the ball harder. Maybe it's because I saw a few Hulk goals once upon a time and now think, (laughs) well, everybody's doing
0: it. Uh, But, but you, you, you cover Bundesliga where the Thunder bastard is a cultural thing. I mean, where you, you associate the Bundesliga with people whacking the leather into the bag of onions at uh, an incredible speed. You see, I watch too much of it, Philippe,
2: because I don't moves.
0: anymore. <laughs> oh, dear. I see
1: too much of the other stuff.
3: Yeah, we forget the time when Benfica had a front... Th- we had, had Hasselbank and Neboa with Stephen Reid <laughs> and Robert Hoof just behind them. That's the time you're thinking of.
4: <laughs> <Yeah>. Hoop <laughs> is just the perfect name for a guy who, well, just hoofs it as well. <laughs>
3: exactly <brilliant>. right. <laughs> um, anyway, that'll do for part two.
0: Not before doffing the cap to a certain Pepe. Who became the oldest outfit player ever to play in a Champions League game with Porto last night? Wow! Next time, wow. yeah, next time you appear on stand and and you've got uh, <laughs> the credentials, the football credentials of the presenters, and yeah. I saw you were nice touch for a big man uh, next to Father and uh,
3: I was uh, good. I was good touch for a big man on uh, yesterday. Today I was got a mistake in him, and uh, you know. Uh, uh, without betraying uh, uh, tomorrow I am not Europa League appearances
4: <laughs> who, who writes these Max and, and, and have they, write, and have they seen these. you play oh, yeah.
3: <laughs> alright that'll do for part two Sid you can go away
4: thank you bye bye
3: good stuff Sid Low out in Spain uh, we'll be back with the Premier League preview Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. So the Premier League then. Now, Everton go to West Ham. Reports in the Telegraph yesterday saying they're facing a possible 12-point deduction uh, for breaching FFP regulations. Uh would be the biggest point deduction in Premier League history. Uh, if it happened today, they'd be on minus five points. The case is being reviewed by an independent commission. They, and not the Premier League, will make the final decision. Everton are thought to have recorded financial losses of £371.8 million. £266.8 million pounds over budget, which seems a lot over budget, doesn't it? It seems you might notice that. Everton, in a statement from a while back, said uh, they're prepared to robustly defend uh, their position to the Commission. The club has, over several years, provided information to the Premier League in an open and transparent manner and has consciously chosen to act with the utmost good faith at all times. Um, I mean, Everton fans have had a, a rough old time, Philippe, lately, haven't they?
0: yeah it's uh, it it's it's the gift it's the bitter bitterest of gifts which keeps on giving um it looks as if uh, i was going to say an example is going to be made of everton um uh, because the twelve points deduction um it goes the consequences go far beyond the immediate sporting um consequences which of course would be dire given their current position and the fact that they in no position to strengthen in the winter, that um, however good a manager, Sean Dyche, might be in this kind of situation, however good some of the players might still be. And I think it would just, um, I mean, it would mean relegation. I don't think there's much doubt about that. And in which case, with the prospect of relegation, the prospect of finding a new owner, uh, since the, the process of selling it to 777 partners has stalled, as we know, Uh, I won't go into that. I will, as per usual, refer to the work we've done uh, with Paul Brown and Yosima about what's happening with 777. So let's talk rather about Everton. But the, the problem is that if they were to go down, I mean, who is going to take on a club that has committed to build this huge new stadium in the docks, a club which needs an investment of between 800 million and 1 billion, Max, if this club is in the championship? given that obviously being in the championship means that the resources you're going to um, have are going to be in terms of the uh, TV income, for example, are going to be uh, well minimal compared to what you had in the Premier League. I mean, it is, it is an absolute nightmare, but on the other hand, uh, there are some very angry people out there who say that Everton should have been dealt with much earlier. And to be honest, it might have been a blessing in disguise or rather a blessing full stop. If they had been dealt with earlier and more swiftly uh, rather than to let the situation um, get to what it is now, which is an absolute mess from which you really genuinely do not see how they're going to get out uh, in any shape or form. And obviously, the coda to that, Max, and I'll stop with this, is that should the Premier League decide, or the independent panel, by the way, that the Premier League is right upon to uh, to sanction the club if it's found guilty. Uh, will have set the precedent for another case which is open and which is Manchester City's case, of course, and there are 115 charges of doing, um, of taking it very, very easy with the uh, financial fair play regulations. So it's, um, yeah, as we said, it's not uh, a, a can of worms. It's, mm. uh, it's, it's a cask of maggots, a dripping cask of maggots.
3: We did have a question from Lucius saying, if Everton are deducted 12 points, the Premier League is asking for: Will Erling Haaland still play for City in the Vanarama North? Um, uh, <laughs> <so> <laughs> it's a good question. Do we have, do we know what's happening with those charges, Philip? And we do get no tweeted occasionally. What's happening with this? The,
0: the, the whole process is going to take um, two to three years, um, if it is ever concluded. It's a bit John Dice v John Dice for Dickens uh, lovers. Um, the process, I mean, they're very careful, absolutely zero detail of what is going on behind closed doors is being leaked or being briefed or anything like that because what the Premier League doesn't want to happen is anything happening in the media which would in some ways uh, be prejudicial to the the process itself. This has happened in the past. Remember that Manchester City used as a defence when they were charged by UEFA the fact that there had been uh, statements put through the media which they thought were putting them in a situation which was unfair. So the Premier League wants to keep everything under wraps as they have done since the very beginning to be uh, to be fair to them when we thought that they were doing nothing about the situation but in fact they were working behind the, you know behind closed doors and that's what we're going to see as well and I think two to three years is about what we can expect for that.
3: True. Uh, speaking of Man City, they go to Old Trafford. Archie, did you give United a chance in this game? I feel like they can be bad and then turn up for games like this sometimes. But
1: I don't know if that's my mind lying to me. Do you remember that glorious first half hour of Bayern Munich away? How how well they played until... Yes, I do. Yeah, they were good for that, weren't and they? And Andre Onana um, fumbled. It, it, it can happen without wanting to go to proper football man. The first goal does seem very important here. I think that there's just, there's, there's this part of my mind which thinks, particularly that United are playing this game at home, that there's a lot of potential for chaos should City get going properly here. And not not just on the pitch, but off the pitch of what this this game threatens to throw up. Particularly because, I mean, look, United have have built some quiet momentum with three back to back wins, but this is this looks like the kind of fixture where it could all come crashing down. So, in answer to your original question, I I still think that yeah, I the the reason and logic in my in my head uh, of which there's not always much uh, says that says that City uh, should steamroller through this.
0: I mean, who was expecting Manchester United to beat Manchester City last season in January when they beat them 2-1 and, you know, uh, two late-ish goals? Uh, An offside goal,
1: they might say as well. Mm -hmm. They've not forgotten about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so, so you never know. You never know. You never know. I mean, that is really terrific insight, isn't no, it? No, no, but
3: you know, but, it, <laughs> yeah. but I mean, it, it is true. As I've said before, Charlie Baker, who I work with at Talksport, says you can end every football conversation with "We'll see," and he is. There isn't one you can't you can end every conversation with that. Bournemouth Burnley. I mean, we'll see. Uh, Arsenal. <laughs> no, I mean that's a massive game at the bottom of the table, isn't it? Two teams, Philippe, who promised attractive, interesting football at the start of the season. Do you think one of them should think, actually today let's get it launched and just get the points?
0: this is the Cambridge United fans speaking here. what why they they they've they've actually been pretty convincing. It's not just that they've promised to do it, it,'s that they've done it actually. The problem has been more that they've done it against teams which are even better than they are doing these kind of things that now this is different. why why should they start launching? Um, Why should Bournemouth launch against Burnley and Burnley launch against Bournemouth (laughs) is the question. Um, You could perhaps understand that maybe Burnley would have been better off, you know, would be better off launching against the likes of Arsenal or Manchester City. But uh, one versus the other, I do hope we're going to see this exhibition of uh, shiny new football that uh, we've been promised and, which we haven't necessarily associated with those two particular clubs in in the past.
3: Uh, Arsenal play Sheffield United. Uh, Chris Wilder's haunting Paul Heckenbottom. Sort of a bit like Banquo's ghost, isn't he? We've been saying for ages that he's just there and ready, but, you know, Heckenbottom's still soldiers on. Um, You wonder if a thrashing at at the Emirates would uh, tip them over the edge. Brighton, Fulham. Uh, Archie, uh, here you go. Here's a minute. Marco Silva signed a new contract. Happy about that? Very. And surprised,
1: given all the signals that have been made before his unhappiness at how things were going in, in the transfer market uh, and how late all the signings were coming. It, it, it's the best news I've had this week. <laughs> uh, it's, it's encouraging. And I hope that with that come assurances that the club will do things in a different way. I thought we were very good away at Tottenham. We played better in that game than we had in wins against Everton and Luton this season. Um, Albeit, yeah, Calvin Bassey playing at right centre-back does not suit him as the two goals showed. I have to mention as well, Fulham are going to do a protest, Max, uh, against the high-ticket prices, uh, against Manchester United. Uh, That is next weekend. It's going to be on the telly. And credit to the Supporters' Trust... And everybody who has got behind that, and I hope that lots will inside the stadium as well, because it is a real opportunity to show what is right and how wrong this is and how damaging it could be to the future of our football club.
3: Philippe, we are five days away from FIFA's deadline for World Cup bids. Still only Saudi Arabia on the table. I've I've got quite a lot on in the next four days, so I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to scrabble one together. Um, so it's up to you.
0: Right. Um, it's up to me. Well, uh, I, what I think is extraordinary here is um, how we have had perhaps the least transparent, least democratic, most corrupt. And corrupt doesn't necessarily mean putting, you know, Envelope stuff with cash underneath hotel doors, Max. I mean it in the moral sense, but I think this is in terms of designation of a a World Cup venue, a World Cup host, yes, the most corrupt, the most disgraceful, the most uh, opaque, uh, the most, um, yeah, uh, and catastrophic process we've had in the history of FIFA. I would put that beyond what happened with Qatar 2022 and Russia 2018, or what happened with Germany 2006, by the way. Uh, because this is institutional, this is systemic. A deal was passed quite clearly between Jenny and Fantino, uh, because FIFA is Jenny and Fantino and in the Saudis. A strategy was devised which would enable the Saudis to be the sole candidates. Saudi Arabia, yes, without any competition, will inherit the 2034 World Cup. And what is amazing is that. Can you see anybody talking about it? Can you see anybody being revolted by this prospect? Can you see anybody saying, from within the associations, like, oh, dear English FA, have you heard a squeak from them? By the fact that we are going to go, we are all being taken on uh, this jolly ride by Jenny in his, uh, in his clown car, and, and we're, taken, we're being taken to Saudi Arabia in, 20, in 2034. And they twisted the whole process. They made sure, they took a decision on the 4th of October to suddenly give the World Cup to Spain, Portugal, and Morocco. Wonderful venue, by the way, for a World Cup. I don't disagree with that. Uh, By giving a little sweetener to the Paraguayans, the Uruguayans, and the Argentinians, saying, okay, well, you can have one game of that World Cup, which is going to be, you know, of course, in terms of of ecological terms, is absolutely catastrophic. But anyway, the whole thing is utterly shocking. It's It's a complete failure uh, of, of the of the system and another proof that FIFA has to be disbanded because this is just 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 beyond words I, I will stop here because I can feel the anger I can feel my Maybe we should keep that for the for for the for the London uh, Guardian football live I promise you I will be absolutely unhinged on that night I will, I will use very, very bad words Absolutely. because there won't be a lawyer anywhere near and nobody will be retweeting <laughs> or blue-skying what I'm going to say. But I'll keep it at that. It's a scandal. It's an absolute scandal. And nobody's saying a thing. A UFS saying nothing. The French Federation is saying nothing. Nobody's saying anything. So Jenny Fantino and the Saudis can carry on doing their little deals. Their big deals, actually. Bastards.
3: Archie? Quick check on how you're doing and the importance of checking in on how people are doing, um, um, because um, it's important to do that.
1: Yeah, sure, man. Uh, I'm I personally, I'm I'm doing really well for, for for what it's worth. I'm happy to say that I'm I'm still doing therapy because that's what has worked for me. Um, I'd like to mention uh I, I i got a message from uh, a listener the other day which is is what actually um yeah made me want to to say today the you know please do please do continue to try and give your friends who may be suffering uh the space uh, to to quote World in Motion, create the space, express yourself, almost right, because it, like that that's half the challenge is is giving giving people who are feeling low or in in a difficult place is 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 giving them the room to be able to open up and you know you may think checking in is is it is it if for one friend, is it going? How are you all right? Like for someone else, it may just be not prying and just waiting, and 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 making sure that they feel comfortable enough to do that. Uh, but you know, I I try and speak up about these things when we maybe wouldn't think about it, and and the next time you're maybe in full flow of your own moment, just maybe drop a mo- just maybe drop a note to someone just to recognize that you're still thinking about them as well, because these things can can still take a turn. I still have the odd day where uh, things are not good, but because I've worked at it hard for a number of years now and realized that it is a day-by-day process and not I can fix this in two weeks, that I can feel progress, I let emotion out in a healthier way, I can cry again, which I couldn't, and I didn't. I thought that was, I thought that was okay at some point, and now I'm like, that's, that's a, it's a good thing to be able to do that, Um, even if it does come at some soppy movie that you're watching. Um, Yeah, like it's, um, it's important. So I just hope Jerry Jerry Maguire, is it? (laughs) Is
3: that it? Jerry Maguire I wouldn't want to comment. That'll always get Uh, me. But (laughs) (laughs)
1: look, no, it's. I I just hope that you know people are able to take a deep breath and I I know how long waiting lists are as well and how much of a luxury it is that I've been able to see someone and yeah like just try and support one another I guess and I if there's somebody out there listening who is wondering like is anyone hearing me? Um, then you know. Hopefully, their friends, people can can help try
3: and step up for them. Sure, it's a good message, and people are always welcome to get in touch on this and any subject. Um, Football Weekly at the Guardian um, um, Some exciting news to finish off with: we have a, a footballer to follow in MLS chaps, Malcolm Fry of the New England Revolution, who sent me a message on Instagram saying, hey, Max, I'm a professional footballer here in the US. Uh, in the US of A, he says, I've recently signed my first contract with our first team and after thanking my parents and siblings, I wanted to thank you next. Oh, it must small, there must be a small bit, there must be someone else before that. Thank you for lighting up every drive to training with your laughter and amazing guests. He hasn't named either of you two specifically, but I'm sure he did <laughs> of course mean you two especially. <laughs> Um, I'm truly in debt to your wonderful work on the pod thank you, it's certainly the closest I've been uh, to being thanked in an Oscar winning speech, so uh, um, Malcolm don't forget us when you become the next Clint Dempsey um, and hopefully by following your career we will finally overcome our anti-US bias uh, that we exhibit on a, a daily basis um, uh, so yeah, good luck to you Malcolm, thank you so much for getting in touch and that'll do for today um, thank you chaps, thank you for doing the whole thing I'm like Sid, you know Um, (laughs) I value value the commitment. Uh, Cheers, Philippe. Thank you, Max. Thanks, Archie. Thanks, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Max Sarnes.
0: This is
2: The Guardian.